philosopher Goethe says, All truly wise thoughts have been thought already thousands of times. But to make them truly ours, we must think them over again honestly, till they take root in our personal experience. Welcome to Thinking Aloud, where it is my goal to think twice. I started this whole thought process in the middle of December. I had no idea that my ideas would be tested like they have over the past two months. And the people who matter, they showed up. And I can't express how grateful I am for you. And you know who you are. But the, the question I've had, probably for years, is what is community? What is it? What does it really mean? It's kind of the holy grail of Christianity. I think of, of humanity. We want to find our community. We want to find where we belong. Because what is community other than an expressed need to belong? We wander through the internet and our social circles looking for something that matches. Or at least gets close enough we can imagine that we fit. Even if our methods of quote fitting in can be so awkward. I think of middle school and high school and the things that you did to look the part or to, to really be acceptable not even cool but just to be acceptable and I know that awkward isn't always the case sometimes we can be surprised by groups where we find affinity and other times we can be really surprised at how much well we don't fit even when we think we should when all of the stars seem to have aligned all of the checklist points seem to indicate who we are and what we are that there's still this element of, oh, no, I am not like these people. I am not like this purpose. But it actually is made even harder um, fitting in by the complexity of adding that steady diet of scripted fantasy to our expectations of relationship. We see shows like The Office or Community or whatever sitcom we're watching, and they have this endless inside jokes and banter and history and a movie I watched recently where these people had been like best friends for 20 years and they talked all the time, even though that they were on opposite sides of the country. And I'm thinking that is such a great idea, but in reality, it doesn't happen. It doesn't. People have lives and they do things and they're busy. And in these shows that we watch, it's really unrelatable because obviously these people don't go to work and then come home exhausted and frustrated. They don't come home too tired to even make dinner and resign themselves to just another night of ramen and Netflix. Their phone rings and they answer it. And oh my gosh, you know, it's you. Not like the rest of us who are too tired. We pray the phone doesn't ring or we don't get the, Hey, join us at the local, whatever text. But then when the phone calls don't come or the text doesn't come because everybody else is as tired as we are, we feel rejected. Even if that's not the intent, we have that feel that we don't belong. And while we wait, we fill our lonely hearts with manufactured friends and pretend family groups on TV and movies, on the internet in chat rooms and online groups. We have this script 
of what love and acceptance should look like. And that in that script, we are willing to take ourselves as reality. We are willing to take into ourselves as reality, this script, bypassing the truth that our lives can't ever match up to the casting call fantasy or the avatar that looks nothing like us, but we want to pretend it does. Um, we grasp at a momentary dopamine drip that the excitement or the laughter or the crazy or the 250 comment thread on an innocuous statement prompted and man, that becomes our life. That becomes our real life, but it's not community and it's not real. I don't care if it's reality TV, podcasts, internet forums, or reruns. Faces in a box, faces through a speaker, lives mingled over airwaves is not the same as flesh and blood community. And here's where a lot of generalizations are coming into play. And there's a vast difference between real and ideal. It can be really difficult to discern between the two and all too often... The real can be wonderful and awful. And the ideal we had in our mind is perfect. And the lines overlap and we get really disillusioned. And then we get angry. And that anger can become bitterness. It can become that very catalyst that drives us from being the kind of people who are actually fit for community. Because real community is messy and ugly and glorious and beautiful and exhausting and exhilarating and everything else from the mundane to the extreme. Real community takes dedication and showing up even when there aren't smiles and the call to isolate is the most intoxicating thing you can imagine. Real community shows up without makeup and manicures to clean your bathroom when you're sick or sits with you on the couch to commiserate the brokenness of all of our humanity together. Real community is still there when you've been AWOL for a while because you desperately needed quiet and contemplation. Real community makes sure your quiet doesn't become your desert. How? Well, because real community comes from compassion and an other-focused lifestyle. No one builds a tribe by focusing only on their own needs and wants, by putting their own needs at a distant first to the relationships around them. There's a whole conversation that we can have about life and work balance. And I agree, your work shouldn't be your life. I mean, that's even true for people in ministry. Your work, even your work to serve the body of Christ, shouldn't take precedence over the formation and the expression of life lived within the embrace of your circle of humans. No matter how big or small, you should always strive to have voices in your life that can call you on your flaws and praise you genuinely for your successes. And that praise is even more meaningful if the person giving it doesn't benefit from your success, except vicariously because they love you and they are thrilled to see good things happening in your life, even if they don't include them. Tribal humans lived in this kind of community as a matter of survival. And I don't need to necessarily go all noble savage here because, you know, not everything about a savage tribal life is noble. But if you were to throw away people like 
trash in a small enclave of like 400 or 500 people, it wouldn't take long before you were so isolated you couldn't source the things you need to live. But that's just not tribal, that's rural. For us as Americans in our first world bubbles, we've lost so much of what it means to truly have community, and it shows. This polarization of ideas and spirituality has left a rift in morality and practice that has the capacity to destroy us entirely. And it's not just the creepy weirdos from Hollywood or Capitol Hill. The people we rub, rub shoulders with at the store or even in the post office, I, we, we just don't think the same. We don't share common faith or guiding principles or even have a blanket communal and national ideal. We aren't a melting pot. I don't know that we really ever were. We're a segregated, isolated, compartmentalized box of mismatched Legos, and we lost the instructions for how to build ourselves. Which is why finding real, flesh and blood, tangible community for yourself is so important. There's a reason there are so many uh, mountaintops and so few hermits that live on them. Not a lot of us are capable of handling ongoing and imposed isolation. That's why solitary confinement is a grotesque punishment. I don't have a map that gets me to that magical place of community, in case you're here looking for a tidy conclusion. I just know I keep fighting for it. I keep seeking it, and I keep overcoming the disappointment that comes with being human, surrounded by humans. But sometimes, sometimes you find someone who hears your life and sees you. And I have a blessing of a few of those scattered around the nation as they are. And it's good. But no, we don't talk every day. 100 years ago, in the aftermath of World War I, people woke up to a world vastly different than the agrarian, tightly knit villages their parents and grandparents had created and thrived in. The Industrial Revolution and the vast wealth of the 20s drew young people to cities in throngs. And separated from all the nosy Karens and the extended family's accountability, they had the freedom to pursue passions, and they gained the income to fund those passions, and there is something truly marvelous about that kind of cultural renaissance. New ideas have room to grow and take root, new faces showing up in unexpected places, displacing the urban status quo with unconventional and even socially unacceptable revolutions for their time. I mean, it's the nature of a living thing to outgrow their space and look for that which is more suitable as they expand their horizons. That's true of my spider plant. That's true of your teenager. But, and this is where I see the model begins to show its age and where. When the community expanded beyond its capacity to support and to nurture the wounded. I'm going to say it one more time. The model begins to show its age and where when we observe that the community has expanded beyond its capacity to support and to nurture the wounded. When I had my younger son, we had just moved to a new town, had a new church, we had a new everything. My closest relative was two hours away. And... We brought that tiny baby home, and we both got the flu. My husband and I both got the flu. 
And we spent those first two or three weeks in isolation, just the four of us, my husband and I taking turns on the couch, setting timers for two hours to try to stay awake long enough to, you know, be with the baby and, and help and all of that. And it was awful. It was awful. And we were absolutely alone. Had I lived in a community with people that knew me, that had known me for years, with my family two doors down or 10 minutes away, that would have been an entirely different story because I know that my sisters would have shown up and they would have been there doing dishes and laundry and, you know, dropping off a casserole or whatever because that's what family does. And that's what my family does do when we are in close enough proximity to do it. But we had moved outside of our community. And so I was not the coddled new mom as my sons grew and, and we had again moved away from community, it, I didn't have the connections to find them jobs appropriate for young men to find their footing with people that were respectable and came with character references. Uh, it was make your application online and hope for the best. And sometimes that worked and sometimes it really, really didn't. That village community praised and admired the work of their young people in a way only expressed, only expressed by beaming grandparents and teachers who saw you grow up from a pimply-faced jerk to a broad-shouldered member of the community. And in that vacuum created by these rootless wanderers and their descendants has grown a nomadic generation that didn't lose their desire to belong but they lost the place where that works and they lacked the tools to create it themselves. The very foundation that gave those original young people the strength to leave, the will to survive and the capacity to grow also gave them the understanding of an immovable and irrevocable sense of identity that comes from being known by your people and being supported by them, by having that person you know will answer the phone when you call and will have that hand stretched out when you fall. It's hard enough being an adult, but when you know that if you fall, you're going to lay in the mud until you can figure yourself out and pull yourself back up, that is immense and terrifying. Knowing that there's someone who would soon come by that, could offer you a hand that would offer you a hand you're willing to take more risks you're willing to stand up longer and go further because you know you're not alone and strangers don't do that they spend on you within their budgets they find ways to scribble you into the margins their to-do list takes up most of the page and that little white space around the top bottom and the sides that's where they're going to find space for you and that's fine. I, I completely understand that because I do that for strangers too. But we don't do that for the people who belong to us. Or we shouldn't. If my people need me, my world expands to include them. As it should. But when the business of life is more important than the heart of living, we find ourselves without the capacity to even understand that we should 
live differently. And we've likely never spent much time around people who understand that or who live that either. See, it wasn't uncommon in a small town in Montana for people to show up with covered dishes of hot things if you were in need. They let the poor people glean sweet corn from the acre by the road. They offered rides to and from if your car was broken down or you were without one, without conversations about compensation or quid pro quo, but you wanted to compensate them because it could be you next time and gas isn't free. We shoveled driveways and closed gates behind us and gossiped about each other and complained about the prices at the grocery store. We talked about that one storm where the bridge got washed out and the neighbor with the big truck came by. There was that time when a fire burned a house and we all pitched in with food and clothes and a warm place to be. Or that other time you heard about your friend in a horrible living circumstance and you were in the fourth grade and there was not a lot you could do about it. So you gave her a big giant hug and said you loved her and she cried on your shoulder but you were there. And five years later, when she was in a completely different town, living somewhere safe, she let you know that that mattered. It wasn't perfect. I mean, there were plenty of skeletons in the closet, but we probably could have named them if we needed to. Social circles ebbed and flowed, but the sense that you were part of something never left you. There are no spectators in a small town in a small school or in a small church. You could be lonely, but that wouldn't be because there weren't people interested in your life. It would be most likely because you chose to keep your door closed. You chose to be alone. We still talked about you, but you weren't part of the conversation. Community is complicated and it's complex, but like most intricate designs with many moving pieces, the value is seen best either up close or from far away. We need to touch it, or we need to miss it. But when we take it for granted, like gravity and shortbread tins filled with sewing notions, we lose who we are and where we fit in the middle of it. We resort to online squabbles with strangers over pixels and assumptions of meaning in an impulsive 3 a.m. anxiety-fueled troll rage. We forget that even online we are face-to-face -face with other human beings. I've participated in online groups that pretended they had the capacity to qualify as, quote, real community. I spent 17 years investing in these people. We were a tribe. We were family. We were brothers in arms, or sisters, as it were. We routinely made declarations about how our community was, quote, special, and we had all been searching for so long for a place where we, quote, fit in and could find support and acceptance, purpose and value. It was glorious. You didn't have to guard your speech carefully. And in a world of online thought police, that was really heady stuff. Really, really, really intoxicating. There was no one like us. These vagrant, brilliant minds in a sea of low IQ gammas. But we had each other. 
And it was a lie. Perhaps not an intentional one for most, but a lie nonetheless because you can't really belong to a human you can't watch or touch or physically serve. You can only know the sides of them they prefer to show you. And we all know that no one's going to show you their messy bedroom if they can avoid it. No one's going to admit they're jerks to their wife and their children are falling apart when they're posturing about the fall of Western civilization and the need for men to rise up. And be godly. It would undermine the rhetoric. It would diminish their carefully crafted personas. Neither of which have any place in the actual development practice and fruit of true community. Both were critical in the manufacture and establishment of pseudo-communities where presentation is significantly more more valuable than reality. Probably the greatest soul-searching prior to this that I've done about this was about six years ago. Excuse me. I don't even know everything that was happening at this point, but there were big feels about God and his kids and how rotten some of them were and how much it seemed that the ones who caused all the pain got a free ride and the ones who got hurt had to white-knuckle through life and it wasn't fair. And that's when I thought about this. And I realized I've been looking in the wrong directions. God's people should always look more like him than the world. And that's true. But you know who never changes and is always good? Not them. Not the people. Him. The one who promised to never leave us or abandon us. The one who knows our hearts more than we do. Besides, it could be me being the ugly kid next time. And I'd rather not have people looking to me for answers and thinking God looks like me. Community isn't built on one person. Community cannot be placed on the shoulders of three people up front and everybody else just follows along. Community is a tapestry where every thread matters. It is a harmonic and sometimes discordant chorus of voices. The purpose of community isn't the same as the purpose of a job project or a uh, ministry plan or a business venture. It simply exists so that we can live. And then the outflow is the productivity I've recently had the blessing, the gift of little honeybees. It's winter here, and when the weather turns nice, as it sometimes does in Texas, they'll come out of the hive looking for something to eat because it's warm enough, there should be something, and there's not. And so they end up in my house. And I had one who was named Beatrice. All bees are now named Beatrice. That's with two E's at the beginning. Um... And she was curled up, barely moving. And so I scooped her up and I sat her on a spoon next to a little tiny pile of honey, real honey. And she began 
to eat. And slowly she uncurled. And then I was able to give her some honey and a little bit of water so it was a little bit easier. And then her little abdomen started really moving so she's breathing a lot deeper. And she crawled up on my hand. She tasted my finger. She buzzed her little wings. And then it was dark out. And she was still pretty weak. And since I didn't want to send her out in the dark because bees don't fly at night, <clears throat> I made her a little Airbnb jar. And she spent the night. And the next morning, I took her outside. And she lingered. We hung out on the back porch for a little bit. But I wasn't her tribe. I wasn't her community. She had to go. Well, she did leave. And she went back to her community and said, hey, there's this place and there's food. And then the community decided to come visit. And I decided to set out a buffet, which I did. And at one point, I probably had 150, 200 honeybees just climbing all over this, this platter that had honey water in it. And they ate every single drop. And they visited and they flew up on my hand and nobody stung me and they were just happy and I watched them moving together in concert they would not have known to come back to my house except Beatrice told them a little butt wiggle dance but when they came back I had something to offer and so for just that afternoon, as the bees came and went, I was part of their community. I was part of their survival. And it was fun. It was really precious. But they weren't my community. And I had to think about that. What is the way that I engage with my human community, my hive. I had three interesting interactions with people this last week. I made a new friend who's in her own war, but we commiserated over coffee and were thankful to have someone who could hear and laugh inappropriately at the craziness of our lives. And I look forward to getting to know her better. I'm telling you, you never know what a compliment on somebody's cute blue jeans could give you. I was approached by another woman who seemed really friendly and fun and interesting, but really just wanted me to become a Jehovah's Witness, which is not happening. But thank you so much. I watched a man with a long white beard, who in another lifetime could have been a drugstore Santa if he wasn't such a jerk. I watched this man berate a woman in a handicapped parking spot because she didn't have her sign up without first even asking if she had one or, you know, minding his business. She was entitled to be there the record and was appalled at his verbal attack so we have a new friend a pseudo friend not really a friend and someone that I was like I don't want that human not every human you meet is going to be part of your community that's wrong we're not all the same tribe as much as a lot of it wants a lot of Pollyannas want to say that there are people that you will connect with people that you will enrich their lives and they will enrich yours and there are people who don't and that can be family it can be a toxic parent it can be 
a difficult spouse. It can be a toxic child or family member. I mean, even people that close to you can be someone who are not fit to be your real community. But the point of this whole conversation is not that you find someone who makes you better, but you be better for the people that you have. What is community but an expression of our desire to belong? And which circles are worth fighting for? And which ones are we to open-handedly carry without expectations of returned phone calls? Who are the people that we look at and go, you ghosted me? Oh, right. Well, that's okay. I don't care. And who are the people we say, you ghosted me, but I need an answer because you matter. And I would say all of them in their own way, in their own space. You fight for your place. That's where the fight is. But you allow others the freedom to determine their own. Man, that's hard. That is really hard. But I'll tell you this now. It's worth it.